0: morning. You're like, why is he frowning? I wasn't frowning. I was smiling under that mask. Uh, good to see you guys. Uh, well, special welcome to those online uh, and also those on site. It is uh, fantastic uh, to uh, see some of you face to face looking through. Uh, the camera was getting old. Um, and, uh, you know, there's pros and cons to it. I remember, uh, you know, I can no longer like hit mute and yell at my kids. Uh, I remember being in a bunch of Zoom meetings where I'd like hit the video off, hit the mute button, and I'd yell at my kids that were fighting in the living room, and then turn it back on and smiling. Uh, but now, when you're all in person in real time, you can't you can't do that. So, uh, so you guys got to behave. I can't uh, I can't yell at you while I'm on uh, stage here. Um, anyways, I-, I got a few pieces that I just want to highlight before we jump into continuing our reset series. Uh, Colton did a great job of just highlighting some of the. Uh, regular uh, day, week-to-week stuff that's going on. Uh, there's a few big-picture things uh, that I want to kind of give us up to speed on. And he uh, mentioned child care. We're, we're continuing to evaluate what childcare looks like on a Sunday morning. We know that's a barrier for some families and parents for coming to our in-person services uh, and who maybe don't trust that uh, your kids and sit there. And maybe, like me, you don't want to yell at your kids in the middle of a service, so you haven't come. Uh, But we're trying to figure out what that looks like. Thank you for your patience and grace in that. Uh, If you are online, we just want you to know that we have spent uh, a considerable amount of time and energy and resources uh, to to set up online uh, church for the uh, indefinite future. And so that's an investment that is continuing to happen. Uh, We have, you know, things being built behind the stage. Uh, There's, you know... We've been planning this for a couple of months, uh, but with the backlog of everything during COVID, we weren't able to get it all up and running before uh, we started services here last week. Uh, So just please know that uh, what you are experiencing online right now, it will uh, get better, and we are—we think this is an important part of who SunWest is going to be in the foreseeable future, being online and on-site together. Uh, And with that in mind, uh, all of that stuff requires lots of, gifts and energy and volunteers, and you can imagine as we head back into services and some people aren't ready to come back attending, some people aren't ready to come back volunteering. Uh, and that's, that's awesome. We respect everybody kind of where they're at and what they're feeling, and everybody's situation is different. But the reality is that uh, we we are looking for able-bodied people that are willing to be here in person to help with some of these uh, initiatives and, and the streaming and all of that kind of stuff. And so if you're willing, uh, we can train, we can teach uh, but we, uh, we are in need of uh, people to step into some of those roles uh, so that we can do the online and in-person uh, ministry that we feel like God's calling us to do in that this season. Uh, a couple other things. Groups. Colton mentioned this. Uh, sorry, groups. The, uh, we had 30 groups run in uh, in summer. And this this was an answer to prayer. We cast a vision Sunday at the beginning of summer. And we said, you know, we're looking for 20 groups to run this summer. And we had 30 and I just want to thank all of the group leaders who stepped into that gap and led a group in the middle of, you know, a very odd, chaotic season. And if we could just uh, thank those group leaders for stepping to the plate, we had all sorts of different types of groups running and social serve, study, support groups, and it, it was incredible. And I, I think those groups actually allowed us to stay connected and encourage and support one another in our faith journeys through those summer months. Uh, but the reality is. Uh, that uh, we are looking to launch another set of groups this next semester starting in October. And our, our community, as we've just talked about, uh, is all over the spectrum. And I believe that groups is critical to helping us stay connected in unity and moving forward together uh, and encouraging everybody, no matter where you're at. And the beauty of groups is the more groups we have, uh, the more uh, opportunities there are to keep people connected uh, wherever they might be at. Um, and so whether you're uh, online because you, you're not quite ready to come back in person, uh, I would ask that you consider leading a digital group, an online group, a study group, a support group. Uh, maybe you want to lead a social group. Uh, we had some walking groups or biking groups or that kind of thing happening in summer, and those were great places for people to connect. Um, but uh, we, we aren't up to the group number that we were at during summer, and so we got about a week to go, and I'm just kind of putting the plea out there and making the ask. If you've been around some of us for a bit, if you've done our starting point class, would you consider uh, leading a group, tapping some people on a shoulder, and say, "Hey, let's do some life. Let's do life together in some way. Uh, maybe it's it's doing a, a watch party at home uh, with some other families. If you're not quite ready to come back to service, it could look like a lot of things. So uh, please pray about that. Consider that. Um, I think that our group's ministry is a key ministry, particularly. It, it always is, but particularly at this time. Last thing. Uh, we are gonna go on a mission trip to El Salvador. Uh, we got one person who's excited and everybody else who's thinking, man, isn't this, this is probably not the right time to go to El Salvador. Uh, but we, uh, El Salvador is one of our anchored causes. We, we participate in, in building houses and supporting, um, uh, the, the ministry called Shelter in El Salvador. And Shelter has made a, an interesting pivot in this time to do virtual mission trips. And when I was reading about this, I was hearing about this, I said, this could be really neat for us as a whole church to do a virtual mission trip together. What do you guys think? A few of you guys are on board. So let let me just like outline it really, really quick. Uh, We we would like to build at least one house together as a community in El Salvador in the next few months. Uh, One house is $3,800, and... And so, if you want to give towards that El Salvador uh, mission trip, uh, you can give uh, to our missions fund and put the memo uh, El Salvador or put the memo to uh, Shelter Nexus in the in the uh, on your offering, uh, and that'll go towards that fund. If we can do more than one house, then uh, maybe we could do that. We're still figuring out the details, but basically, what's going to happen is we're going to raise money for a house together, and over the next few months, we're going to meet. Uh, we're going to meet some in-person guides from shelter in El Salvador that are, are going to uh, guide us in our trip, and they're going to explain, uh, help us understand the culture and the communities and the background of where we're ministering and where we're, we're helping. Uh, and so we'll get, we'll get the opportunity to get to know that community and see how God is working in that place, and, and also allow the people in El Salvador to, to see how God is working uh, among us. And uh, and so we'll have regular times to actually connect uh, digitally with uh, people in El Salvador. And it might be, we're still figuring out what that might look like, but that could be a video update that we'll show on Sundays. It could be actually a live Zoom call that we get to participate in as a community. We'll actually get to meet the family uh, that we would build for and get to know their names and their stories and their backgrounds. Um, and they'll get to know a little bit about us, and we'll be able to make that connection uh, virtually. Uh, and then during the construction process, uh, we'll be able to be updated and, and participate. You know, we, we can't swing a hammer uh, through the video screen. I mean, you could try, but uh, that would be costly, um, probably not very effective. But we'll, we'll be able to be a part of the construction process uh, in, in some degree and get regular updates on what's happening there. Uh, and then one of my favorite parts, if you've ever been on a mission trip, I actually haven't been able to go physically to El Salvador yet, and maybe some of you haven't either. And this is a great opportunity to participate in a trip that maybe you wouldn't have gone on otherwise uh one of my favorite parts is the key ceremony and we do this in mexico uh after the house is built that we we give the the keys to the family and it's just a beautiful moment uh, where you get to get a glimpse of the the transformation that a house can mean for a family uh in el salvador uh and so we'll get to participate in that key ceremony together uh and then we'll be able to follow up with the family uh after we build the house and uh and see how that has uh, impacted their life together. Uh, and so I'm excited about this. We're still working on timelines, uh, but the initial thought, uh, I mean, Jake is here. Jake, can you give a wave? So, so Jake is our, he sits on the shelter board, and he's been leading our El Salvador trips for years. And so we'll get Jake up here to tell you everything that I just said that was wrong and what more details, uh, what, the, what the proper details will be in the future. Um, but uh, we'll work on the details, but our, about our hope is to actually, uh, get this done before Christmas. And so we got a, a few month window here to do this journey together. Uh and uh we'll have a giving Sunday coming up where we'll we'll ask you to, to give specifically towards this, this project. Uh, but you can give at any point online by just putting that in the memo. Shelter Nexus. Uh isn't that an exciting opportunity? It's pretty cool, right? And so it's just neat to see how different ministries are are, are pivoting and being creative on how we can keep participating and building God's kingdom uh, together at a time like this. Okay, Reset. Uh, this is the series that we are in, and this is week number two. Uh, and This is about choosing your normal in an abnormal world. And many of us would like to go hit Reset on the year 2020, uh, and we can't do that. I mean, there's a lot of things that aren't in our control in life happening out there, but we are—we do get to control what happens in here, in our minds, in our hearts, in our spirits. Uh, and so this series is, a, is actually about some self-care, uh, being proactive as a person of faith, as a follower of Jesus, and what does it mean to be a citizen in this world and the reality of what's, ha- what's happening uh, when my actual citizenship is in heaven, in the kingdom of God. Uh, so how do we reset and have a proper posture? And so we're resetting uh, this morning, we're going to talk going from fear to faith. From fear to faith. And there's a lot of fear going on in our world. Would you agree? There's a lot of fear going on in our world, maybe in our lives. And exactly three years ago, I preached a sermon series called Chase the Line. And that, that whole sermon series was uh, about tackling our fears and moving forward in faith. And I saw a flashback on my Facebook feed um, just a few days ago. Uh, that said three years ago today, and it was, uh, from that Sunday morning sermon series where I was about to preach the text that I'm about to preach right now, uh, moving from fear to faith. And we had a little fear game that we played before that service. And I actually, uh, is this, are you Jordan behind that mask? So, this is Blake behind the mask? Okay. So we got two twins, Jordan and Blake, uh, and when they have a mask on, I can barely tell them apart when they have, when they don't have a mask on. Never mind when they have a mask on. So, but Jordan was our volunteer on that morning uh, to help demonstrate what fear can do to us, and take a look on the screen of what happened. All right. So I need you to tell us your name. Uh, Jordan. Okay, Jordan. Did they tell you what's going on? I uh, know. Okay. Uh, yeah, a little bit. They did oh, a little bit. Okay. So what do you know? Uh, it's like a guessing game. Yeah. Basically it. Yep. Okay, so right in front of you. Just put your hands out a little bit. Okay, right here is a box. Okay. Okay, so there's something in the box. Okay. This thing is alive. All right. All right. <laughs> there's a lid on it for a reason because we don't want it to get out. Okay, yeah. Okay, so don't let yeah. it get out. Okay. Uh, and, it's, and it could bite. All right. Cool. <laughs> All right? So I'm going to remove it and you have 45 seconds to okay. tell us what's in the box. Okay. Where is the box? Okay. The box, is. you're touching it. That's the box. Yep. So there's a hole in the box. And you have 45 seconds starting now to tell us what's in there. I can't tell you. Okay, you're running out of time. How much time? Keep going! Oh, <laughs> okay, you can do it. I believe you. Keep going, keep going. You can do it. You're <laughs> it. How much more time? Ten seconds. Okay, ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. <laughs> Okay, that's it. You can take your blindfold. You can take your blindfold off. (laughs) Okay, good job. Okay. So I love how he's more afraid when he actually saw what it was (laughs) than when he when he didn't know. Um, But you kind you can kind of see the effect of fear in that video, right? Where uh, where he's is, he is just afraid, where he, you can see him almost curling up in the fetal position, and he's shaking, and he doesn't know what it is, and the, the fear of the unknown can sometimes be paralyzing uh, in our lives. And so we want to talk this morning about from, uh, going from fear to faith. And uh, Hebrews 11.1 1, uh, says this about faith. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I think that's a great definition of faith that we find, in Hebrews 11, verse 1, confidence what we hope for, assurance about the things that we do not see. And I think we could probably just say that faith is seeing things from God's perspective. Faith is simply seeing things from God's point of view. And if we can learn how to actually see things from God's perspective, the world uh, looks different uh, around us. I, I have these mountain bike glasses that I often wear uh, when I'm riding my bike, and they're, they're, not, just, they're not just shades, but they, they actually help. Uh, they help like the the dirt and green the, the brown and greens pop, and so you can kind of see rocks and and roots and uh, the texture of the dirt as you 're riding and helps those things actually come alive more and, and, and I had this this picture when I was thinking about faith it 's it 's like, like lenses that we put on to see things from god 's perspective there 's certain things that actually elevate in our vision and certain things that diminish and, and so faith is a seeing word it 's a, it's a perspective. Word And many of us know we're supposed to be people of faith, but often we're people of fear. We know we're supposed to see things in a certain way, but often we see things through the lens of fear instead of the lens of faith. So let's talk about fear a little bit, and then we'll we'll talk about faith. And one of my favorite passages when I think about fear is Numbers 13 to 14. And in Numbers 13 to 14, uh, we just have this powerful story, just a bit of background Moses led the nation of Israel out of captivity in Egypt, and uh, so they were slaves for uh, 400 years, and they come out of captivity, and they're wandering through the wilderness, and they're waiting to go over into the promised land that God had promised them uh, before. And so they've been traveling at this point for about two years, so they're taking a real slow through the wilderness, a two-year journey through the wilderness, um, and they get to Kadesh. And so they're on on one side of the Jordan River, and they're going to, Uh, They're contemplating crossing the Jordan into the promised land that God said, hey, this is the land that you're going to inhabit. This has been promised to you. And so 400 years later, here's your moment. Um, And so uh, that's the context of the story. And I'm just going to read for you uh, out of Numbers. Numbers 13. I'm going to start at 25 here. Just read uh, just a section of this story. And so at the end of the 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community in Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Jeb. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Uh, There's a lot of ites that are just living out there. That's summary. Uh, Then Caleb signs the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are, and they spread among the Israelites, a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there were of great size. We were uh, we saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak that come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. That night, all of the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud, and all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died Uh, In Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives or children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. And Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly, gathered there Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, um, who were among were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes, and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, into the land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, and, uh, and so that's the point in the story that we get to. They've been waiting for 100 years. They're, uh, they're taken out of slavery. They're waiting to go into this land that has been promised to them. Uh, Moses sends the spies ahead. Uh, there's 10 that come back uh, that give a bad report, and there's two that come back and give a faith-filled report. They get to the edge of the water, and, uh, and so Moses sends the, the spy team to, to check it out. So we see the ten, have they're looking at the situation with eyes of fear. They have this perspective of fear that they're looking at the situation with. And then there's two guys that have eyes of faith. And uh, let me just read the names of the ten guys. We know who the ten guys are in the story. And, and raise your hand if you've heard of these guys. Shaphat, Nobody? Okay. Uh, Agal, Palti, Gadiel, Amiel, Sether, N- Nabi, Guel, Shamua. No, not the whale. Uh, different guy. Uh, so those, those, are the ten, those are the ten names. Anybody hear those, heard of those names before? Nobody's heard of those guys. How many remember these, remember these two names? Caleb and Joshua. You heard of those names before? Well, oh, they're a little easier to say, but you've heard of them before. Nobody remembers the negative guys. Nobody remembers. Last week we talked about pessimists. Uh, nobody remembers the pessimists. You know that's probably why we have generic names for those type of people, like negative Nancys and Debbie Downers, right? And we just we just blank them all with one name. It was like I don't know, who you are, you're a Debbie Downer. Um, and and so we don't remember the guys uh, who didn't believe, who didn't have eyes of faith, uh, who who saw the world through the eyes of fear. We remember the guys who had eyes of faith. Who saw things with God's perspective. Now, because the ten only saw with eyes of fear, an entire generation actually ended up missing out on God's promise for them, on God's plan for them. God brought them to that point to bring them into the promised land, and those ten guys, because they saw with fear, spread a bad report, and then for the next 40 years, that generation wandered in the wilderness and didn't get to inherit the land that God had promised them. They ended up wandering for 40 years. So watch what what happens. We'll just go through this really quick. Watch what happens when we choose to see with the eyes of fear. This is what happens. We exaggerate our difficulties. We exaggerate our difficulties. God had just delivered them from Egypt, from the most powerful nation in the world at the time, from the hands of Pharaoh, through miraculous acts. And they get to the Jordan River, and now their difficulties all of a sudden become larger than life. The more we focus on our problems, the more they're and the bigger they get. You know, they, they were talking, it says, they look like giants to us. You know, the, the, these, these enemies of theirs just became giants in their eyes. And this happens all the time when somebody cri- criticizes you. The more you think about it, the bigger that criticism becomes. You know, you have a challenge in your life, and the more you contemplate it and, and worry about it and think about it, the bigger that thing becomes. All of a sudden it becomes a giant, and our, our difficulties get exaggerated. Um, the 10 said that the land is great, but there are giants there, so we can't take it. The ma- majority report was negative. And I think this is just the way things often work. The majority of people often see things through pessimistic, negative, fearful eyes. But I think as people of faith, we're called to see things uh, from a different kind of perspective. So fear exaggerates our difficulties uh, when we're afraid. Uh, we underestimate our abilities. So in Numbers 13, 33, uh, they said, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Their identity as God's people, as God's chosen people, was actually diminished because they were looking through the lens of fear. And then they said, we, we, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and then it says, we look the same to them. You know what happens when we let fear dominate our minds is, not only do we diminish how we see ourselves, we assume other people see us in the same way. It's called projection, that we start projecting how we feel about ourselves onto how other people are seeing us. We care less about how God sees us and more about how we're seeing ourselves and how other people are seeing us. And so fear causes us to underestimate our own abilities uh, and our own identity. We stop seeing ourselves the way that God sees us. Uh, Fear, a result of fear is that we get discouraged. Numbers 14, verse 1, it says, All the people began weeping aloud, and they carried on all night long. They had one giant pity party, poor us, fetal position. Uh, they're discouraged, and discouragement can come from insecurities or doubts or frustrations or, or events that take a right-hand turn that you weren't anticipating uh, you know, or, or health challenges, you know, wherever your discouragement comes from. Uh, it's easy to be discouraged, but when we, uh, when we dwell on our discouragement, it actually starts to have a, a multiplying effect. What is in our hearts will eventually come out of our mouths, right? And so we see that these guys are discouraged. They start speaking that. And as they speak it, uh, they begin to grumble. We start to grumble about our lives. In Numbers fourteen, verse two, it says, "All uh, it says that the pity party uh, said, or that bleh, the text says that all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron." A lot of grumbling and whining going on. So uh, there's a fear is taking over the camp. And we see that fear is contagious, and it's, it's spreading. Uh, and then as that happens, we eventually get to a point where we give up and we blame God. In 14, verse 3, so they, it started in their hearts, came out of their mouths. It's spreading across the whole camp. And then by the 14, verse 3, it says, Why is the Lord bringing us to this land to be killed with swords? We'd be better off going back to Egypt. And they're pointing the finger at God and saying, God, what are you up to? What are you doing? And they blame God. They start acting like they know better than God. They want to go back to the good old days. They say, I wish we could just go back to Egypt. We could turn around and go back. Let's select a new leader and go back. It's like go back to Egypt. They were in slavery for 400 years making bricks every single day. And that's where they want to go back to. Why? Because it's predictable. Slavery is predictable. And I think sometimes when we're afraid, what we long for is just normal and predictable. And we start settling for less than what God wants for us. I think in a time of fear, our default is just, give me predictable. As miserable as I was, it's better than not knowing. And fear drives us towards predictable situations. Many people stay in destructive situations, in abusive relationships, um, in a life that they would never choose. Why? Because It's predictable because there's security in that predictability. And so maybe they know it's Egypt, but at least they know Egypt. That's what's happening in the story. This is the fact that fear is happening. And then, as I said, negative attitudes just become contagious. And that took over the whole camp and the Israelite people ended up missing out on the promises of God. All because these ten guys chose to see with eyes of fear instead of eyes of faith. Fear robs us from our future. And I think that was the same in the story, and it's the same today. The posture of fear and negativity set them back 40 years. And I don't want that to happen in my life or your life. Er uh, McManus said it this way. He said, fear is like a leprosy that eats away at our souls, and it will lead us to build a fortress, to build fortresses that look like security and safety. Fear convinces us that we have locked out the dangers that would befall us, all the while binding us to the fact that it hasn't locked, the world out at all. Instead, fear has trapped us inside itself. It was never a fortress; it was always a prison. So, I think that is the effect that fear has. So, let's talk a little bit about faith. Just really quickly, when we when we compare the posture and the perspective of faith in the story, uh, and what we observe in Scripture, and the, the effects of fear, we see that fear, or that faith, uh, when we, we have eyes of faith, our difficulties shrink. Our problems actually get smaller. Why do they get smaller? Because our God gets bigger. Because faith focuses on who God is, how powerful he is, how good he is, how sovereign he is, that, 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 that Jesus is on the throne. And so when we have eyes of faith and that's where we're looking, God gets bigger, our problems get smaller, and then we begin to see ourselves for who we really are. We're not grasshoppers. We're image bearers. We're more than conquerors. We've not been given a, a spirit of fear but of power, of love, of a sound mind. You know, I am a son of the king. Uh, You're a son of the king, a daughter of a king. Your identity is uh, in who God is, not in what's happening around you. And so all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. That's what it says. That's what Paul says in the Scriptures. And, And so we can look at the promises of Scripture in light of who Jesus is, and we can claim them and say yes, and we can have faith and have confidence in who we are and what God is calling us to when we have eyes of faith. Faith opens the door. For a miracle. I just lost control of my slides. There we go. Faith opens the door for a miracle. Um, and I'll be the first to tell you that when miracles don't happen, when you're praying for a miracle and uh, and, and nothing happens, I, you know, I'll be the first to tell you that I don't have an answer to why that happens. But I do know this, that in the places that miracle happens, they always happen in an environment of faith. Faith opens the door for a miracle. When miracles happen, they happen uh, because the necessary part of that equation is faith. In Mark eleven twenty-two to 24, it says, have faith in God. If you have faith in God and you don't doubt, you could tell this mountain to get up and jump into the sea. Whatever you ask for in prayer will be yours if you only have faith. So what is the mountain in your life that needs to be moved? What's the challenge in your life that needs to change? If you've said, oh, nothing's ever going to change, you, you, you've already guaranteed that there's going to be no change or miracle in your life. It's a self-defeating, self-fulfilling prophecy when we choose fear instead of faith. How do you know what God's going to do or not do? Our role is actually to keep our eyes on Jesus and, and be, to have a perspective of faith, no matter what the situation is around us. Uh, faith gives me power to hold on in tough times. And so sometimes faith provides the opportunity for a miracle to happen, but sometimes uh, there might not be change, but what faith does is give you the power and the ability to hold on in tough times. Faith doesn't always take you out of the problem. Faith often takes you through the problem. Faith often doesn't even take out you out of the pain, but it actually gives you perspective in the middle of the pain that this isn't the whole story, that God has a plan and this whole thing is going somewhere. It allows you to have uh, to keep the, a legacy and joy and, and foresight of what God is going to do in the future in mind, reg- uh, um, no matter what you're going through, maybe in the moment. So how do we move from fear to faith? Those are all really good ideas, Matt, living in faith and not fear. But how do we actually move ourselves from this point to that point? Uh, And this is a critical question. And I think the answer is worship. I think the answer is worship. Um, I heard somebody, oh, I heard Tracy, our interim children's pastor, Quote somebody uh, this quote like a month ago, um, but uh, I don't think it's an actual quote. So maybe it's Tracy's quote, or I don't actually know where it came from. But anyways, I thought it was interesting. It says, fear is the smoke that leads to the altar of what we worship. I think fear and wor- fear and faith both have their root in worship. That we were created to worship. That we all worship something. The question is, what are you worshiping? And, and, and the idea of worship is like, what are you giving your weight and attention to? And so look at what you're afraid of or anxious or worrying about and, and follow the smoke to where that leads and, and what is on that altar of worship. What is it that is, is consuming your mind and your thoughts? So now pay attention to this. We're going back to Hebrews 11 verse 1. It says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Confidence, what we hope for—that means it hasn't arrived yet. Assurance, what we do not see, which means that there's uh, reality that is beyond what we're actually able to see. And so this necessarily means that there's in, an incongruity between what I see and what is real. Uh, where's Emma at? Do you know what incongruity means? No. She can't, she complained to me last week. She's like, "You use too many big words." Uh, so I, I when I wrote incongruity this week, I was like, oh, "What a." So there's a gap, you know, there's a gap between what we see and what is real. You got that? You got that, Emma? Thumbs up. Okay. Beauty. Okay, so there's a gap between what we see and what is real. So listen to this verse. Uh, When Jesus taught us how to pray, Matthew chapter 6, he said, Pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. There is a gap between what is happening on heaven and what is happening on earth. Incongruity between heaven and earth. There's a gap. Ephesians 1, verse 18 says, Open the eyes of my heart, or open the eyes of your heart. I pray that the eyes of your heart will be flooded with light. So I'm getting confused with that old worship song. I pray the eyes of your heart will be flooded with light so that you can see the wonderful future that God has promised to those he called. Open the eyes of my heart. What does that even mean? That's like a, such a Christianese type of phrase. Open the eyes of your heart. What does that mean? It just means... That there is an unseen realm that is more real than the seen realm. If you have, if you can open the eyes to your heart that there's a reality beyond what your physical eyes are seeing, there is an incongruity, there's a gap between what is real and what you're actually experiencing. These are verses of faith. Faith acknowledges that there's a reality behind or beyond what is currently happening. And this brings us to a point of tension as people of faith. And it must cause us to ask the question, what does it even mean to be authentic? Because many people, and they don't want to be authentic, or they don't want to be inauthentic, right? And so, why would I say something that isn't real? Why would I act in a way that I don't feel? But here is the challenge for the Christ followers, that your reality is not actually seated in what's happening around you. Your reality is dictated in what is God calling you to? What is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven? What, what happens there? How does God see you? How does God see the situation? And we have to recognize that there's a gap between the way things are and what is really happening, the way things we see things and what is really happening. In the Western world, we, we often... Uh, We think along these lines. We think our way into a new way of acting. If I could change the way I think, then I will act in a different way. But the biblical worldview is actually the opposite. That we act our way into a new way of thinking. That physical obedience actually brings spiritual breakthrough. That how we feel or what we think is not actually what is real. And this is like completely opposite to the messaging in our culture. What you feel is truth. I mean, I, you know, you know, my kids, you know, I don't want to do that. I don't feel like doing that. And so they don't do it. But we know as parents that you have to do things sometimes that you don't feel like doing. Yes? Yes, Silas? Can I get an amen? No, he's shaking his head. No amen there. Physical, physical obedience, regardless of how you feel or what you see or what you think, is actually the key to having spiritual breakthrough in your life. The measure of authenticity is not what you're feeling or thinking. Those things, what you're feeling or thinking, either line up with authentic reality or they don't. And if they don't, Scripture tells us that we get from here to there by moving, by acting. And some say it's hypocritical to do something you don't feel like like doing. I think it's hypocritical to do things you only feel like doing and claim to be a person of faith. I'll say it again. Some people think it's hypocritical to do things you don't feel like doing. I, I think as a person of faith, it's hypocritical to only do what you feel like doing, to only think, that, only think that what is right is the way you think. We're actually called to put on God's perspective in the way that we live. And so I believe that our job is really to copy and paste. I don't know if you work with computers. I, I'm on the computer a lot. And I do control C, control V all the time. Copying and pasting, copying and pasting, copying and pasting. And I believe that our our job as followers of Jesus is actually to be copying and pasting. What, What is happening in heaven actually is telling me what to do on earth. I copy what's in heaven, I try and paste it on earth. If there's peace in heaven, I live with peace on earth. If there's no sickness in heaven, I actually pray for that reality to happen on earth. If there's no injustice in heaven, I actually live a life of justice on earth. If heaven is full of hope and joy, I copy and paste that and I live a life of hope and joy on earth. And we recognize that there's a gap between how I'm living, what I'm saying, and what's going on in the world around us. But as people of faith, we're actually citizens of heaven, not citizens of earth. And so we live in that future reality today. And so how do we get from fear to faith? Like I said, it's worship. Worship is a physical posture word. If you look at every word in your Bible that is translated as worship, it's talking about physical posture. It's talking about kneeling. It's talking about being prostrate. It's talking about lifting up your hands. It's talking about bowing your head. Those are all words that are translated as worship in our scriptures. And do you think that every time in scripture people felt like raising their hands or felt like kneeling or felt like getting prostrate? before They probably didn't feel like it, but they were actually... Making their body, they were moving their body to participate in what was real reality outside of what maybe they felt or what was happening in the world around them. So when we come together and we worship on a Sunday or worshiping from home online, you know we can sit there with our hands in our pockets because I just don't feel like it. And one of my sons the other day asked me, "Why do I raise my hands in worship?" Uh, And part of the answer is, you know, sometimes I raise my hands I don't even feel like it, and so my being inauthentic, or I'm actually moving my perspective by getting my body in line with what is true and what is real, and that God is God and I am not, and that he is worthy of my praise, and that I can be thankful regardless of what's happening on the world around me because I know who's in control. And so I bring my body into worship, and then my spirit actually follows. How do you move from fear to faith? You get there by actually moving. And so I don't know what that means for you but if you find yourself anxious, fearful, worrying that fears dominate your life or um or the world around you choose to act as a person of faith and worship regardless of your feelings and that might mean getting up in the morning uh, to spend time in prayer or the word or journaling when you just feel like sleeping in. Uh it might mean, you know, putting on a joyful praise uh Type of music that's going to lift your spirits, instead of putting on, you know, that angry AC/DC song that you just you just feel like that gets me, that gets my feelings. You know, you put on that rage. Song. Um, I don't, I don't know why I picked ac uh, uh, but you know what I mean, right? Sometimes I like put on music that like that aligns with my mood, and it just makes me feel even more. I, I get the feels even more. Um, I believe that sometimes i got to put on things, and put on music that actually reorients my heart. So what does it mean for you to be a person of worship and act your way into a new feeling and to put on the eyes of faith? Because worship is about putting our eyes on Jesus, focusing on him, focusing on the reality of heaven, the reality of the kingdom of God, and then letting that transform the way that we see and the way that we live. Pray in every occasion. Give thanks always, no matter what. Lift your hands when you feel like getting into the fetal position, and even just taking your hands out of your pocket, or, or, or opening your posture up in a, in a posture of prayer and receiving. Praise God when you feel helpless. Sing a song when you don't feel like singing. There's all sorts of spiritual practices and worship habits that we can actually put in our lives that reorient our eyes to see with eyes of faith instead of eyes of fear. So I'm going to invite you to stand if you are able. And, uh, and whether you're at home watching online or whether you're here on site, I'm just going to invite you to put your hands in the air, You know, just even a little bit. You know, even do this. If this is, you can do this, you can do this, you can do two hands. Um, but I'm just going to invite you to put your hands in the air. I'm going to invite you to clap during this next song if you want, or keep your hands in the air. I would invite you to go beyond what you're feeling uh, in this time of worship together. And I think you'll be encouraged at what that actually does to your perspective and your heart as you get your body in line with the reality of God's kingdom. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you that your reality is beyond what we see, beyond what we feel. And we just claim that what we feel and what we see isn't, um, isn't real reality. That you've called us to be people of faith. You've called us to be people that copy what's happening in heaven and paste it on earth. And Lord, I pray uh, that we in this season in particular would be marked as people of hope and faith and love um, in a world that seems like it is suffering from the effects of fear. May you teach us what it means uh, to be worshipers and to align our lives under you as our King. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite you to sit down just real, real quick. Um, And uh, just a couple of things as we end. Uh, I'm just going to get the slides back up if that's okay there, guys. Um, As we've been going through... Uh, church at home through these months. We've been, we've been um, leaving, going deeper questions at the end of each of the, the sermons. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to continue to do that because a lot of the groups and the cohorts have, have found it really encouraging to discuss these things um, as they try and apply the content uh, that we're doing on Sundays. So before I do that, I want to leave you with a quote from C.S. Lewis. Uh, it says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house at first, perhaps You can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. And you knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you were not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abdominally uh, and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house than the one you thought of, throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up tires, making courtyards, You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. And so if you feel like your world is being reconstructed, uh, and that you're anxious and you're fearful and you don't know what's happening, I think that we can always take encouragement that God's perspective is often not ours and choose to be people of faith and trust that he's doing something uh, and that he can bring about good even where we don't see it happening. So a couple of going deeper questions. What's the difference between fear and faith? How are those two things related? What role does worship play in building our faith? What does worship look like in your life day to day and week to week? Is there any practices that you could start that can help you move from fear to faith? Move from fear to faith, not faith to fear. Let's we're trying to go the other way, right? Okay. Typo, my bad. Um and then during the week, I would invite you to read numbers 13 and 14 and just pray and, and, and ask God what He's speaking to you through those two chapters. What parallels do you see between that story and our world? What does it mean to be like Caleb and Joshua instead of the other 10? So let me pray for you. Uh, if you would like to receive prayer, um, we are, we're doing that in an online we're, we're registering for that in an online format right now. You can, you can email prayer at sunwestchurch.com. And we have prayer teams that are ready to pray with you virtually online and Zoom meetings or to set up uh, uh, times during the week to pray with you. Um, and so I would encourage you to take advantage of that. That's prayer at sunwestchurch.com. They'd love to connect and pray with you. Um, let me pray for you now. And then as we, as we conclude, if you're on site, just a reminder that you're going to go this way uh, and then make your way to the parking lot. You can feel free to mingle in the parking lot as long as you want. But we do ask that you make your way out. Jesus. We thank you again uh, that you are King, that you are Lord, um, and that nothing in our lives or in our world is a surprise to you. And so we thank you that because of that, as your sons, as your daughters, we get to live as people of joy, as people of hope, as people of faith. And Lord, I pray that we would be authentic to who that who you say we are, who you've called us to be. Lord, we know it's tempting to align ourselves with the variety of emotions and feelings that might be going on in our world or in our hearts. Uh, But, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see how you see, to feel how you feel, and that we would continue to copy and paste what's happening in heaven, on earth, and in our lives. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. I look forward to seeing you guys uh, again next week. Just a reminder to please register. See you then.